Let us pray. Almighty and most gracious God, draw near and make your word to be planted deep within our hearts that it would spring forth by your spirit, that it would spring forth and bring about a harvest before you. Enable us to know your word and to be changed by your word and to draw near by your word into your presence always. And we ask this all through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. For some reason this morning, I feel like I've forgotten to do something. I don't know why. I feel like something's going to go wrong later in the service because I've neglected to do something. That's neither here nor there. That's just how I've got this weird feeling right now. It's a strange thing. But yesterday, I went to a funeral. A friend of mine from college, his grandmother died. And so I knew his grandmother and I was treated as part of his family when we were back in college. And so I drove up to Kingsport to go see him, to go spend time with his family, to mourn with them and to attend that funeral and to hear about the goodness of God and his mercies and his promises being fulfilled in her life and how God used her to draw so many other people to the Lord and how she and her late husband had helped to build that very congregation that she was a part of and that she had been a part of that church for over half a century and just had a glorious, glorious, beautiful testimony in light of what God had done for her. And I thought it was just absolutely providential earlier this week when I got that news that our passage that we're looking at today is 2 Corinthians 5, one of the passages that we so often turn to in those moments of death. In those moments when we do go to funerals, so often this is a passage that a pastor will talk about and will preach on for that. And so many funeral homilies have been written about this, these verses. But this passage is more than just for funerals. We do have here the ultimate hope of the believer being explicated by Paul, being explained by Paul. That there is more to this life than escaping our physical bodies. There is more to this life and our salvation than simply going to be present with the Lord when we die. And Paul brings that out here in this passage. He reveals that our hope is not separation, but the perfection of the body and soul in Christ Jesus Himself. We don't look toward that rending of the union of soul and body, but to the eternal union of a perfected soul with a perfected body. This is what Scripture itself teaches us is the goal of salvation. That is the coming together in perfect harmony of the physical with the spiritual aspects of ourselves and of reality itself. And here Paul brings that to the forefront. Last week we heard about that weight of glory, that eternal weight of glory, the eternal weight of being truly known by God Himself. That we bear and we hope for and that we look toward things that, unseen, that are unseen, that we look toward the invisible the hidden things. Because the visible are temporary. And so here Paul turns his eyes onward, onto ourselves. He turns it toward himself. Like, what does this mean for me then? What does this mean when I say that we look toward the invisible? That we look toward the things that are unseen? Because things that are seen are transient, are temporary. But the unseen are eternal. And here Paul turns toward his own physical body. 
He turns and looks at his physical body here on earth and sees this very reality that he is waiting for the consummation of all things, that even though he is already physical and he knows that at the end he will be physical, he knows that this physical body in the here and now is not the eternal body, that it is a body that has to be renewed, that has to be changed, that has to be glorified, that has to go through the same kind of transformation that Jesus' body went through as it laid in the tomb and he was resurrected into new life. Our bodies themselves have to be changed too. And that will be our completion in Christ to receive the resurrection from the dead, to enter into the glorified state. And so on account of Jesus' resurrection, and yes, His ascension, because that plays a role here too, that as Jesus is resurrected and ascended into the presence of the Father with His humanity, we can look forward to that perfect clothing of the mortal with the immortal. Here, resurrection into a glorified state and the ascension come together for us. These two events in Jesus' life that I'd love to talk about are brought together by Paul into one beautiful whole for they reveal to us what God desires. That He desires to bring us body and soul into complete salvation that cannot be undone. That is the work of God in Christ for us. And Paul starts right there in verse 1 talking about our body as a tent. Very appropriate. Wouldn't you say Paul was a tent maker there in Corinth? And so he reminds them that he is a tent maker and that our bodies are like tents, a temporary earthly home that can be destroyed and will be destroyed. One commentator made the point that Paul may have been writing this near the Feast of Booths. And so he had tents on his mind. He had those temporary shelters that the Jews would build during the Feast of Booths, the Feast of Tabernacles. For they would live in those temporary tents, those temporary buildings. And it reminds him that his own physical body, though he has been redeemed by Christ himself, this physical body is but a temporary home. It is a tent that will be destroyed. It is a tent that will fall into death. But his hope doesn't rest in this physical, broken down, weary body. It rests in a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. And I think there with that little statement is where the ascension is coming in. For who is in heaven? Who is the eternal one in heaven who is, has life in himself, who is physical in heaven, but Jesus himself, that he is ascended and that he is the house not made with hands, that he is the eternal one in the heavens that we look toward. And Paul continues in verse 2, for in this tent we groan, we ache, we long to put on our heavenly dwelling, that is, to put on Christ more fully, to wear Him upon ourselves, to have His righteousness so indwelt into us that we are fully, inwardly and outwardly, transformed into a new kind of person. For we're groaning in this tent because our spirits have been renewed. We have received the Holy Spirit, and that Holy Spirit causes us to groan towards something new, toward renewal. And so we groan to put on our heavenly dwelling, to put on that new body that is ours in Christ. If indeed by putting it on, we may be found not to be naked. By putting it on, we may not be found naked. You see, this is a strange concept, I think, for us, because we often think of, oh, when I die, my soul leaves my body and it's not that big of a deal. But it is. That's not how God made us to be. He did not make us to be separated from our physical parts, from our physical self. 
And Paul compares that to being naked. The soul is naked when it dwells in heaven on its own without its physical body in a way. It desires to be fully clothed. That in this tent, we groan, looking toward our heavenly dwelling, toward that eternal body, toward that resurrected body. We groan so that we can put it on and not be found naked. That our souls would be fully clothed with the new reality that God has brought to us. We groan in this body. We groan in this tent. We are burdened in this tent with the weariness, the brokenness, the sinfulness that still dwells in us. The sinfulness that eats away at every fiber of our being. We groan against it. I think even unbelievers have a sense of that groaning in them, just naturally that they know that there's something wrong. Blaise Pascal was a wonderful philosopher and apologist when it came to to noting that, to pointing out how even the unbelievers understand that there is something greater than this world. Intuitively, they know it. Somehow they understand that once we were princes and princesses, we were vicars, we were those who were to reign over earth. But there's a bestialness within us now. There's a sinfulness. There's something that drives us away from that, that drives us into conflict. And that causes our bodies to break down. It causes us to wear out, to be burdened with the sin that we bear day in and day out, that we confess day in and day out as believers. But we groan not that we would be unclothed, not that we would escape from this body, but that we would be further clothed. And here Paul brings it out so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life itself. That is the goal, that is the desire that God has for our redemption. Not that our souls would be freed from our bodies and escape, but that our souls would be fully clothed, would be further clothed, would be renewed in a new body. That makes me think about Adam and Eve and how they attempted to clothe themselves in the garden after they sinned. But God did a better job for them. He killed an animal for them and used its skins to make proper clothes for them. He further clothed them in order to cover up their nakedness that was their shame. And here Paul is saying something of a similar nature, that we groan, that we are ashamed. We don't want to be naked. We want to be further clothed. We don't want to lose this physical body in death. We want to immediately enter into the resurrection. We want to see Jesus return now so that we can pass into resurrection glory without losing our physical body in between, without going to an intermediate state where, yes, Paul will go on to talk about us being in the presence of the Lord if we're away from the body, but there's a lack in the fact that we don't have our physical body. There's an incompleteness in our salvation in that intermediate state. And Paul doesn't want to experience that. He wants to experience the fullness of his redemption. To be further clothed. For his mortal body to be swallowed up with the immortal body he is to be given. That all believers are to receive. That is what Paul wants and desires. And that is our calling to desire today. To not just get into the presence of the Lord in heaven but to see that end time when heaven and earth come together in a glorious and beautiful recreation of all things, and we are resurrected from the dead into new physical bodies that we then will enjoy for eternity, that we will be in the presence of God Himself physically as God is in our presence through Jesus physically, that we will enjoy that fellowship and that communion for all of eternity as physical beings. 
for this mortal life to be swallowed up by true life, by eternal life, by the fullness of life itself. That is what Paul is looking toward. To not escape from this tent per se, though he knows it probably will be destroyed, but to seek after that building, that eternal dwelling, that heavenly dwelling, that further clothing that God will bring to him. And how does Paul know that this promise is coming to him? Him personally, he says that he who has prepared us this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. That the Spirit has been promised. That as we are baptized and as we come in faith, the Spirit fills us. The Spirit comes to dwell in us and with us. And He is that guarantee of new life in the end. He is the guarantee of what good things God has in store for us. He brings to us that reality more and more, day in and day out. He drives us closer and closer toward that momentous event of resurrection, dwelling with us to be that perfect guarantee, to be that assurance. And how do we know that we have the Spirit? We know because of the promises of Scripture that those who have trusted in the Lord receive the Spirit, that those who are baptized have had the Spirit poured upon them to draw them closer and closer to the Lord. That in the Word itself, who the Spirit has, which the Spirit has inspired, the Spirit Himself dwells and comes to us. In all these places we know the Spirit is near us and with us. And so we draw to those things. We draw near to those things to know the work of the Spirit in us, to feel His assurance, to know His, Him as a guarantee for us. And as Paul is looking in hope toward that perfected union, that perfected harmony of body and soul, what does that mean in the here and now for him? Having that Spirit as a guarantee. He tells us in verses 6-10, through 10, he says, We are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. He doesn't mean that God isn't present to him, that Jesus isn't present to him in the here and now, but that he is not fully in His glorious presence when we are at home in this tent, in this body. We don't know the fullness of the presence of the Lord in our lives. We don't know the fullness of the presence of the Lord in heaven itself to see His glory with our faces unveiled, to see the fullness of His glory reflecting off of ourselves, to receive the fullness of that glory onto ourselves. While we're in this physical tent, while we're in this broken down tent, we are not in that kind of presence, and so we are away from the Lord. And in light of that, we walk by faith, not by sight. We walk in the confidence and in trust that God will bring to fruition and bring to fulfillment all of His promises in us and to us. Yes, we are of good courage, though we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. You see, even in all of what Paul said of him looking toward that mortal life being swallowed up by the immortal, looking toward not experiencing death, but entering directly into the resurrected state from his mortal body. He says, yeah, even with all of that, I know that it would be glorious in the here and now be brought up into heaven, even without my body. I would be at home with the Lord. And that gives me courage that no matter what happens, I will be made at home with the Lord. When I leave this physical body, whatever may come, I know the promise of the Lord that I will be in His presence. That my soul will ascend and draw near to Him because He has called me to Himself. 
and I will find my home with the Lord and will wait joyfully for that day, worshiping and praising God, looking always toward the eternal that I will fully receive when Christ returns, when all things wrap up in this old creation. And it gives way to the new creation. And in light of that, having that good courage, having that confidence, having that assurance of the Spirit's work in Him, whether away or at home, He says, we make it our aim to please Him, to please God. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what He has done in the body, whether good or evil. Here, Paul isn't telling us to sit there and be obsessively fruit-checking to make sure that we're saved. But he is reminding us that we have been redeemed to please the Lord, to live new lives because He gave us a new heart. He filled us with His very Holy Spirit, and He doesn't just release us to go back into the sinful life that we once had. He doesn't release us to go away from Him, but He keeps us near to Himself by His Spirit and renews us so that we can then live the kind of life He intended for us, that we can lead a proper life before Him. Just as a young child desires to please his parents, we should desire to please the Lord. We shouldn't desire to rebel and to push back against what God commands us to do. But in the change in the work that the Lord brings into our lives, our desires are reshaped. For some of us, we weren't raised in the church We were never taught to desire God, to love Him with our whole heart. But yet one day, our desires changed because the Spirit worked in us and caused us to start desiring God. God changes our desires. He is enabled to. He is and can because He is God. Our desires can be changed. And for Paul, he has a desire to please God. And we more and more pray for that desire to be awakened and to be brought more and more to fulfillment as we are changed and walk in the Lord. Because ultimately we will come before this judgment seat of Christ. And we will be judged for what we have done. If we are in Christ, then we will be judged to be righteous because of Christ. Being in Christ means that all that we have done wrong has been dealt with in Christ. It has been forgiven. It has been taken away. And we will be received into the glorious presence of God forever and into eternity. But if we are not in Christ, then we will be cast away. Jesus, as He says so many times in the Gospels, I never knew you. Even though we may have been in church, even though we may have done lots of good deeds, they were done apart from Christ and apart from faith and thus aren't known. Because there was no faith. As Paul says, all that is done without faith is sin. When we act without faith, it is not good deeds before the Lord that we are doing, though they are good deeds before men and good deeds here on earth. Yes, we do lots and lots of good things, but without faith, those good deeds do not rise up before the Lord as good deeds in Christ. And without being in Christ, then all of our evil deeds remain with us. All of our sinful deeds remain upon us and part of us. And thus, those will be piled up against us in the judgment. But as I said, in Christ, our good deeds that aren't noticed by God without Christ are noticed and lifted up. And those evil deeds are done away with because Christ dealt with them on the cross. 
And so we are of good courage. We take courage. We lean into our faith because of what the Lord has done for us. And all of this, I think, as we think about that renewal that we are given, draws our eyes toward communion itself. As I said, the goal is the perfection of the union of body and soul, the cleansing of the body and the soul in salvation. One of the prayers that we pray in our communion service is the prayer of humble access. It has bits and pieces that seem to be linked to earlier liturgies, but really the prayer itself is virtually a prayer that Thomas Cramner wrote specifically for communion. And one of the most beautiful lines in it is, Grant us therefore, gracious Lord, so to eat the flesh of your dear Son, Jesus Christ, and to drink His blood, that our sinful bodies may be made clean by His body, and our souls washed through His most precious blood. In communion, we see that goal of salvation, of that perfection of body and soul, when we pray this prayer. As we partake of Christ's body and blood through this sacrament, we desire for our own physical bodies to be made clean. We desire for our souls to be washed by His precious blood. Amen. We desire to take Him into us to fully renew us body and soul. And they are cleansed by the body and blood of Christ. We are made clean. We are made into new creations by partaking of Jesus through the sacrament. And alongside that are the very words, one of the words, optional words that, we can, that I can say when I give you the sacrament. Oftentimes I say, the body of our Lord, the bread of salvation, the bread of Christ. But one of the other beautiful things that can be said, the body of our Lord Jesus Christ, which was given for you, preserve your body and soul to everlasting life. In those words, it's a reminder that we are to be preserved not merely in our soul, but in our bodies into everlasting life. I love those words to hear that brought together, that body and soul are being redeemed and renewed by communion. It's not just our souls that are getting lifted up into heaven, but our physical bodies too are going to be renewed and perfected. And so the Eucharist itself is concerned with the entirety of our salvation. And that's why we come to such a holy thing praying that prayer of humble access that it's not by my righteousness, but it's by the mercies of God that I come. We're called to recognize that we are wholly and completely changed by the Lord through communion, through the words of Paul here, that there is a great and glorious goal of our salvation. Communion brings it to the forefront as we receive the body and blood of Christ, that our body and soul might be preserved unto eternal life. That we are completely changed by Christ in that moment. Body and soul, desires and actions, thoughts and behaviors, they are all brought under Christ and become more and more confirmed to His callings in us when we come in faith and receive who Jesus is through this bread and wine. When we receive by faith what Paul talks about here, we begin putting on that heavenly dwelling little by little as we put on Christ more and more in this life as we are clothed more and more by Him. We come more and more into the presence and can look forward to that perfect clothing. For communion brings us ever closer to that perfect clothing. Our faith brings us ever closer to that perfect clothing. 
Our groaning drives us closer to Jesus and brings us good courage because of the spirit that is at work in us. So the promises that we receive week in and week out and hearing the word and receiving the word made flesh through the bread and wine and praying before the Father through the Son by the power of the Spirit, we are made more and more ready, drawn closer and closer. And so draw near this day. Draw near and be reminded that your salvation is of your whole being. Your salvation is looking toward an eternal home, an eternal body, an eternal heavenly dwelling brought down from heaven through Jesus Himself that is in heaven now because Jesus is in heaven. We look toward a glorified resurrection because Jesus has gloriously been resurrected and ascended to be with the Father. And He gives us Himself every time we receive communion that we would be more and more prepared for that glorified state. And so rejoice, my brothers and sisters, at the glorious salvation the Lord is bringing to us every day as we look with faith and draw near to Him looking forward to that final day of Christ's return. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.